You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumare. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumare. And Mary, you know what's in front of the Supreme Court? Affirmative action, like we haven't heard that before, right? Yeah, do you have any opinions about that? Oh, I have a lot of opinions, but I understand you've been listening to the arguments. So I listened to most of it. I listened for a couple hours and I had an errand to run and I was having a hard time getting it in the car. Um, So yeah, I probably heard almost three, two and a half hours of it. And you would say, oh, that's a long time. And that must have been boring. But what I'll tell you is, yes, it was a long time, but it wasn't boring at all. It was a little feisty even. Okay, bring us into this. Let's do some reporting. (laughs) So, um, you know, both sides of that issue, I think, have um, legitimate uh, perspectives. You know, I mean, it's not one of those issues where you think that's just crazy. That's can't be right. You know, you listen to both sides and you're like, yeah, I get that. And I get that. And constitutionally, um, you know, the restrictions against, um, discriminating based on race and what we would call us, what, what we, (laughs) what lawyers would call strict scrutiny, of the law to make sure that it doesn't um, in any way um, impinge upon someone's constitutional rights, meaning these are racial issues. That's where you get strict scrutiny. So that the legal arguments were fascinating, but it was also kind of feisty because you have this huge divide between Sotomayor, Kagan, and Jackson, you know, the three liberal justices all three of whom, as I was listening to it, I thought, or at least two of them, could well have been the beneficiaries of affirmative action. Well, I think, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think Sotomayor has said that, that I'm only here because of affirmative action. So she's a huge supporter. It was interesting to hear Judge Jackson question, Justice Jackson question, because the first time, I think, is that the first or the second um, argument I've listed? But she really was like the lead of those three. She's very balanced. But her, she also, I don't know, did maybe she went to a historically black college for undergrad. You know, I don't remember that. But anyway, she did an awesome job and so did Kagan. On the other hand, the other guys did not do a bad job but they were just tearing down the lawyers for UNC and Harvard in this way. Like, okay, but isn't that discrimination? Like if you're looking at race at all. And then in both cases, the schools were like, listen, the race factor is really almost de minimis. It's among many other factors. Then why do you need it at all? You know what I mean? So it was kind of, you know, you're better about these words than me, but it was like sophomore or something. What's the word for every time they would get to make the argument, they'd come back in with something that was like, okay, well, then you don't need that at all. 
Okay, yeah, the Greek phrase is stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it like it sounds of, better in Greek. It, it kind of yeah. killed the argument a little yeah. bit. But again, I was trying to really step back and listen to it, not with my own views, but to understand that it is one of those policy matters that you can argue both sides of because is it when you come down to the individuals? In other words, if I only have, I think, what did Harvard say? It has got 61,000 applications for, I think it said 1,600 spots in a class. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're not even that high. So, you know, if you're, let's say it's 1,600 and you're 1,601 and you don't get in and you think there were some preferences that got, you know, a black person in above you, then you are the person who could have been hurt by that. But the evidence, because both of these cases were tried in district courts, so they kept going back to the record, and the record didn't actually support the position, or they didn't have evidence of this is the guy that was hurt. So one of the arguments on the for the liberals was like, do you really have standing? Do these groups have standing? Because I don't know if you remember in the Harvard case, who brought the case was, um, and I think it's actually the same group that brought both cases, but this in, in particular was a group of Asian students who said that the, um, it, that the Harvard admission policy uh, was slanted against them. Because they didn't want the class to be all Asians, because yeah. Asians well, do better on yeah. Um, on on uh, actually, it has to do a lot with standardized tests. Right, and I I mean I think you're exactly right, and it it always seems to me I guess this is true of any anything like this. We have two competing uh, mm-hmm. and and the you know which is the nature of both a legal and an ethical question, and I think. There are three things that occur to me which argue for the side of rights that we we group as affirmative action. And I'm going to label them just real quickly. One as being correction, and I'll, I'll enumerate it. The other one being reparation, and the third, diversity. And the idea is, in the first case, and we've seen this in a lot of places, saying that certain members of our society could succeed at a high level. Uh, They could be Justice Sotomayor, but because of a variety of factors, schooling, family, whatever, they have been held back to some extent. And if we could correct that and get them up to the same level, they would be at the right point. And uh, there's a fairness uh, to that. Secondly, I'd, I'd put out, There's the argument that certain groups, certainly African-Americans, historically have been so badly treated that we owe some level of reparations uh, to them. And affirmative action would be an effective tool for that. You know, actually, I don't think the supporters of affirmative action today are using either of those arguments. They are th- not, they, John. And it's interesting because on the reparations argument, um, oh my gosh, 
So there were some, there were multiple lawyers talking, so I'm trying to remember who this was. But anyway, we, you know, we're talking about the, the one, I think it was, I don't know, Alito or Gorsuch or somebody was saying, okay, well, how do you make these decisions? Like if you say um, we're not going to have race-based, but in effect you would have a race-based policy if you said all descendants of African, of slaves have, uh, do get preference in a reparation style um, affirmative action. And so this is just an example of where the justice was just such a jerk. And he goes, okay, so what does that mean? Like, what if only your grandfather was um, descendant of slaves? What if it was your great-great-grandfather? What if it was your great-great-great-grandfather? What if that's only like one-sixteenth of your... And I think even he realized that he sounded so stupid because the answer, oh, this was the lawyer for University of North Carolina, said, many of these issues come down to identity and how the person identifies and what their cultural experience is because of that identity. And you can imagine those conservative justices' heads were blowing up. Yeah, they don't like that at all. Not I, a bit. You know, and I want to add on to it what, what my third motivation is, which I think is the one that has most often been successful before. And, and frankly, is the one that I think is most compelling to me today. And it says every student at Harvard or the University of North Carolina profits, benefits, the university benefits. Indeed, the society at large benefits if students study in a diverse community. It is simply better for human beings, for education, demonstrably better if uh, we are not only with one group of, of people. And so creating that diverse community is a societal good. And the way that we have to do that is make certain that we are, are including identity and race and gender as parts of essentially forming, picking what our class will will be. Okay, as an educator, that makes sense to you. But you know who that didn't make sense to? Clarence Thomas. Because he, really? Yes, because he would say, okay, I want you to define diversity for me. I still haven't heard a definition of diversity. What does diversity actually mean? And the poor lawyers for you. Diversity, <laughs> Clarence, means your marriage. Exactly. And <laughs> so he that that's where he kept going, you know, with his like very he's like one of those guys who himself, and I think he's even said this, probably was the beneficiary of affirmative action and resents it. Because then people look at him and say, but for affirmative action, you're not here. So he completely misunderstands what, how it works. You know, people don't look at folks like, at least I didn't when I was in law school, look at the black kids in our class and say, oh, but for affirmative action, you're not here. What I would think, I think is like, thank God that someone's given these folks a chance because they still had to compete. And what was interesting, one of the interesting arguments on the diversity, and this is why I think that the, the um, 
anti-affirmative action folks are going to win. Because one place the conservative judges kept going is, okay, how long do we keep that up? Because at what point don't we need to do that anymore? Because the, the case they were talking about overturning is a 2003 case in which um, Sandra Day O'Connor had said, well, you know, 25 years, probably enough time. You know, just a number pulled out of her hat, right? And we know, because we're almost 25 years past that, and because of how human beings are, that it may be forever that diversity in a college campus is something admissions offices officers always are going to be jiggering in a sense. And that may be race. It may be economic diversity. But let me tell you the greatest my one favorite thing that happened is something I've thought about all the time. And this was a question actually from one of the conservative justices and said, you know, right now for most schools, and I think this was true at UNC, there you have more female applicants than male applicants. So, or, and in these classes. So he said, could that be a social good to have more men admitted than women. And he said, wouldn't that be ironic? Something like that. And um, the UNC guy said, basically, listen, all we're saying is not one group or another, but that diversity as a goal is valuable to, as you just described very well, to the um, student body as a whole. And just one other thought, John, you know who made the best, best argument was the um, Solicitor General for the United States. And her argument, we know to maintain affirmative action, but she said, if you do this, you take away our ability to, to um, manage the race of the cases at the academy, of, of, of the incoming students at the academies. And nothing has has been more beneficial to the United States, the United States military, than affirmative action in the in the academies. And look at the leadership it's created. And so they go, okay, so let's say we carve out the academies. She said, yes, but ROTC exists on these campuses. You know what I mean? But I thought her argument about that was very, very compelling. It was a great argument about these segments of our society that have been so well served, and the law is one of them, that very well served by affirmative action. Over well, they have an. Years. I got to tell you, I think they could make the best arguments in the world, the Solicitor General, so forth, the people from the universities, and I don't think it made any difference because I think this cake was baked. There are a few things that have been absolute for conservatives since the 1960s. Prayer in schools, obviously, abortion. You can keep going down the list. But man, affirmative action is is really one. You get a really, really conservative group of people and you bring this up. And I am certain somebody's going to say, well, that's backwards racism. It's yep. racism against white people. Right. Isn't it? And uh there may be a lot of things, maybe about uh, Trump's trials and everything else, 
that this court will vary on. They are not going to vary on culture issues. And this is one of the king of the culture issues. I, I agree 100% with you. I, you know, you could hear that. Like, they would be saying things like, well, that's race discrimination, isn't it? You know, like, isn't it? it's not that the lawyers weren't ready. And it was, you know, like I said, it was very feisty. But there were literally numerous times when... I just was like, that's wrong what you're saying. <laughs> I realize it's so frustrating. But when that decision comes out, you will over, overturn all those precedents that supported it. Absolutely. And when it happens, I know we're up at the end. I want them to bring to court as well the affirmative decision making in favor of legacy students and athletes. And they did talk about that. So that'll did be interesting. They? they did. They did because... Um, and again, think like a conservative. Well, what if the legacy for at Harvard, this was against the Harvard lawyer, the legacy from Harvard is an African-American who went to Gross Point High School is a really, you know, good grades and everything. Should his race be helping him? And you could almost see the Harvard lawyer shaking his head like, have you been listening at all? Like, it isn't that he's black that gets him into Harvard. There are multiple, multiple factors that we look at. He did. Do you know how complex our system and our process is? And, you know, the context that people grow up in, this is why these essays at these colleges are so important. The context of who they are and how it's affected them to become the 18-year-old they've come in. And race may be a part of that. And don't take it away. So interesting, John. We could talk about this for a long time. I guess we better go. All right. right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.